everyone. This is Molly Dalfit. And David Dalfit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today, we're covering Nature Smart and Self Smart for the lectionary selections for the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year C. Luke shows Jesus making some waves at a dinner party, while the author of Hebrews wraps up the letter with some final thoughts. The psalmist describes confident faithfulness to God, plus Sirach. What is that, a hot sauce, a Vulcan ambassador? Well, join us as we spice up your sermon. Live long and prosper. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You could read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking at the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then we encourage you to try it yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another show. Uh, Today, we are looking at uh, the intelligences intrapersonal and natural. So, self-smart and nature-smart. So, I'm looking at self-smart this week, and we're um, going to give you a little blurb from uh, Multiple Intelligence in Faith Formation by Sharon Eli Pearson. Uh, she's the one who talks about multiple intelligences in use in church settings. And uh, based on uh, Howard Gardner's theory and work, she says this person is someone who likes to be alone, someone who has time to think things through and do some time for reflection. Uh, this person learns best by doing that reflecting and by making some connections to one's own self. And when asking questions or having a discussion with self-smart people in the room, make sure that you include lots of time for pauses and silence in order to allow these people the time to process their thoughts. And ask those who are usually the first to always answer to hold back a little bit and wait a bit. So uh, don't don't just jump in with a raised hand. Don't be Hermione Granger. <laughs> Uh, give everybody else a chance. Uh, so self-reflective exercises of prayer, meditation, and silent imagination are good ways to engage self-smart people in worship. So there you go. What have you got? Well, nature smart is what I've got, or the naturalist intelligence. And again, Sharon Eli Pearson describes this as uh, a person who likes to categorize, collect, grow, plant, relate to animals, and sort. This learner thinks best by using natural phenomena. Uh, Tap into God's creation. Explore environmental issues and act. Plant seeds. Build and tend a garden on church property. 
Hold a blessing of the animals to celebrate the Feast of St. Francis. Celebrate Earth Day. So basically anything having to do with stuff outside and uh, uh, categorizing of natural elements. So uh, that's a little more challenging, of course, for, for being in the worship space. So sometimes we try to bring a little bit of nature inside. So our, Purposefully. Uh, purposefully, yes, not just tracking it in. <laughs> <laughs> or shrieking when you see the spider building a web on the microphone stand. Right. Yes, right. as a colleague talked about one time. <laughs> Uh, ordinarily, we invite you to check out our previous show from three years ago, but uh, three years ago, we had a clip show. We were doing a, a, a feedback loop episode. So that this covered is about it. six months worth of material. It did. It so did. There's a lot there. There's plenty, but uh, not so much on these texts. Nothing on these texts. Right. So, um, so we'll just uh, give you these for this week and invite you to use your best imagination in filling out the other six. That's right. We're going to start with the gospel this week. So the gospel lesson for Year C, Ordinary 22, is Luke chapter 14, the first verse, and then leaping down to verse 7, going on through 14. I didn't even look at what was in the, the uh, cutoff part. Did you? No. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll <laughs> let you do that. We're obviously not using it. Okay. So, uh, verse 1 starts out, On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. And then it jumps down to verse 7, and it talks about how Jesus was paying attention to what was happening at the meal and how people were choosing places where to sit. And so he tells this parable about... Um, Which isn't really a really parable. Really a parable. It's more kind of a, an adage or a wisdom saying about, don't take the highest seats of honor, because if somebody comes in who the host wants to honor more than you, and he'll have you get up and move down the, down the table, and oh my, how embarrassing will that be for you? So when you come in, take the lowest spot so that if the host sees you and says, what are you doing all the way back there? Come on up. You'll be honored. Um, and then he also turns to the host and says, now, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite people that you know are going to be able to repay you because pfft, everybody can do that. Instead, go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There you go. There's cool. the passage. Cool. Alrighty, well, uh, a couple different things popped out at me in terms of cell smart, and the first one was from the first verse about that being watched really closely. Mm. And I, I kind of got the thought of you know how sometimes when um we know that there's someone in the community who's been acting oddly, people start paying attention. Mm. So I went and I did a search for being watched, and I came across something that was a little bit the other way around. On the 14th of October, uh, PBS, there's a program on, on PBS stations called POV, or Point of View. And on the 14th of October, they will be showing a documentary called The Feeling of Being Watched, mm. which is about the experiences of Arab American people in Chicago, Oh yeah. Uh, chronicled by a journalist, 
Asia Boundary. Uh, so I ha we have links to the the show itself uh, coming at point of view, uh, some information about Asia, and a, uh, a a link to a teaser about the show. Uh, it aired last spring at the Tribeca Film Festival and apparently was rather a hit. It's you know the the feeling of being watched uh, through no fault of your own. Mm -hmm. And we live in such a a. Uh culture of xenophobia well yeah. that but i mean also um surveillance oh, right right well surveillance and self uh recording with all the yeah. selfies and yeah. influencers and stuff yeah I, I was thinking surveillance you know they say in london the average person is on camera 15 times oh, yeah. a day or something yeah if you watch if you watch uh uh, modern um, procedural shows, cop. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they they're always referring to CCTV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so for special effect with that idea, ask people to remember a time when they knew they were being observed. Mm. Was it at a concert when they were performing with a choir or a musical ensemble? Was it at a birthday party when everyone was singing to you? <laughs> was it a time when you walked into a new place where no one knew you? Was it when you had misbehaved and were grounded or put in time out? So, Dro dropping a plate in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Also, uh, another place where I thought self smart sort of popped out was the idea of the disgrace and the honor that Jesus is talking about in verses seven through 11. Um, I went and found a, a blog or, or a, a, a post at a blog called Thoughts on Theology by a man named Andy Nacelli. Uh, he refers to three books that he's come across dealing with the shame honor culture of this particular era. Two of the books cover Paul's understanding and reinterpretation of shame and honor. He puts the whole thing on its ear. Mm -hmm. um, but the third one is a fictionalized exchange of letters between Luke and someone named Antipas, who is a nobleman. So that could be kind of interesting since this is the year of Luke. Um, so a, uh, a um, special effect to go along with this whole idea of shame and honor. Have you ever needed to make a decision about how to proceed with an action that may bring difficulty, if not outright hardship, on your family and friends? So something you do is going to bounce back on them. Have you ever made a decision that bled over into perceptions of them after you've acted? And how did you feel? And if you had not yet acted, did that change you? Did that, how did that affect you? Um, and another thing you could do with this shame honor idea in this, in this story uh, is as people are seated and you're getting ready to go with a sermon, start declaring different sections of seating in your worship space to be of different, completely, totally arbitrary value. Mm. So ask people sitting in each <laughs> section mm -hmm. to spend some time digesting what their sitting spot suggests about them based on this utterly meaningless assessment. And then ask them, what their usual sitting arrangement suggests to and about them. Why do they sit where they do? And what would it mean for them to sit somewhere else? That would be fun. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah, of course, in our, in our church, we, we've got three specific sections for the three-pillar <laughs> families. Right, yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, that could be interesting, especially to have them get up and move. Oh, my gosh. Do you think it would happen? Mm. Mm. Not without the struggle. <laughs> the struggle is real. Well, for Nature Smart, I'm looking at this, and um, I, I got to thinking about uh, sort of social Darwinism. Okay. Uh, survival of the fittest, and the and the play in in what Jesus was saying, of uh, power and honor and authority and all that and status, and such. And so I went went uh, poking around for that, and I, you know it, it suggests that he's re- reversing the usual social Darwin exchanges in this, where you try to get ahead and. You know, may, it might be because we don't have a, a really good understanding of how those dynamics actually work. Mm-mm. And most of us actually misunderstand the phrase survival of the fittest in terms of the actual biology and evolution. So that we think that climbing socially is always the most desirable. In evolutionary terms, though, fitness doesn't necessarily mean strength or endurance or health. It means the extent to which an individual passes along its genes to succeeding generations. And you have to get ability. You have to get past at least one other generation. Right. Right. Um, Not its adaptability, just that it passes along its genes. Oh, just the simple fact of passing them along. Yeah. Succeeding to get your, your, uh, offspring to adulthood so they can pass along the genes. So it really has n- nothing to do with your capacity other than just having offspring and then them having offspring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I Which have a, could really be up to luck in a lot of ways. Sometimes, yeah. So I, I've got a link to an article that discusses this. It's from Socratic.org. And the article gives some examples like a weak male lion being able to produce more surviving progeny than a strong male lion, for hmm. example, and so would be technically more fit, according to right. Darwinian evolutionary schemes. And um, a, a cheetah that has three cubs, you would think that would be successful, unless hmm. they don't all make it to adulthood. Right. If they all die before they can reproduce themselves, then that cheetah has failed. And, right. and so um, it, Jesus is perhaps saying here that one can actually increase one's social evolution, as it were, uh, by taking a more humble approach, and that the alphas, as it were, uh, may get social status, but they may not be as well regarded or as widely regarded or as helpful to the population as a whole as one who is willing to lift others up. Hmm. So the adaptation of humility is potentially more successful than the me first approach. Hmm. Interesting. Now, there's, there, I got to throw a caution in here because applying scientific principles to social situations by analogy is dodgy business. It's bad science. And so you have to make sure that you're, you're making a clear delineation here. A, an analogy should not be taken as equivalency. Mm-hmm. And taking the humble seat at a banquet is not really a Darwinian choice, but it kind of looks like one. So for the purpose of illustration, it kind of works, but don't let anybody think that you're actually 
doing science. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you dumping on the social sciences over there. No, 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 not at all. Uh, <laughs> it's just that we have a tendency to uh, to take scientific ideas and mush them into what we think is going on among people, and it's not really. Okay. You know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So. All right. Yeah, because there's not actually any evolution happening at a wedding banquet. That we know of. Well, you know, maybe after. <laughs> let's go on. Yeah, let's. The New Testament lesson for Year C Ordinary 22 is Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8 and verses 15 and 16. Very nearly the end of the book of Hebrews uh, and uh, probably the last that we'll see of it in the lectionary for a while. Yep, next week's Philemon. Oh, right, the whole book. The whole book. The whole letter, the whole yep. 21 verses. Yep. So uh, it begins, let mutual love continue, and then some admonitions to remember people, to show hospitality to strangers, to remember those in prison, and remember those being tortured, as if you were there with them. Uh, let marriage be held in honor among all. Uh, live your lives free of the love of money. Uh, remember your leaders and um, imitate their faith. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And through him, let us continually offer sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. It's a little bit of a jumble there, but uh, basically some some admonitions like you get at the end of these epistles. <laughs> They're wrapping up their sermons. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I just have a minute. Here's everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, looking at it from Nature Smart, I looked at verse 3 which is remember those in prison as if you were there with them. Remember the tortured as if you were being tortured. Um, difficult from nature smart, but what I, what I came up with was a conversation on a forum at chronicleofthehorse.com mm -hmm. uh, about whether pets know if their people are in pain. Oh, I've heard anecdotal stories that say, oh, yes. Yes, and that's what this is. Okay. It is uh, somebody just asking, do you think our pets know if we are suffering? And then most people said, absolutely, yes, my mm -hmm. pets do, even my cats. You know, a lot of people said their cats were very affectionate when they were feeling bad or after surgery or something. Hmm. And then once they were better, then they yeah, would, them cat cells they would again, be them. Right? Yeah. Um, and some people said, no, my dogs don't ever pay attention to me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, th there's some of that. But, but the vast majority of people said, yes, absolutely, our animals know when we're suffering and they behave differently. So uh, I just I, I thought about that as what if we were as attuned to human suffering as some of these dogs and cats hmm. seem to be, and I think that's the admonition here: is pay attention and and be mm -hmm. in tune with those who are in need. Mm -hmm. So that's one. 
then I had a special effect to go with verse 15, where we're to offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So I thought, get a big bowl of fruit and have it on the communion table. And at prayer time, invite people to come forward, pick up a piece of fruit, hold it up and declare their praise for God, whatever happens to be on their hearts. And then, you know, put the fruit back on, on the table instead of back in the bowl. And, oh, uh, yeah. So that people can see the fruit of the lips praising God. Cool. I like that. Yeah. So how about self-smart? Well, okay. Um, what caught my attention was verse 2 where the author said, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Um, some commentary says that this is an, allu- an, an allusion, allusion to Abraham and Sarah uh, mm-hmm. feeding the three strangers mm-hmm. who came by. Um, and so I kind of poked around a little bit, and I found some commentary and a sermon by a man named Philip, Philip McLarty, who had an interesting story about hospitality to strangers. His story is that he was working at a mission in Wichita Falls, Texas, and two really very hungry men came to the came to the mission and they fed them. And while they were there, one of the men noticed uh, a, a, a fairly well-known picture of the um, it, it's a man sitting at a table. He's in an attitude of prayer. There's some food on the table and a Bible open mm-hmm. in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the uh, the artist who did it. But anyway, so this guy saw that, and then he said his grandfather told him a, kind of this long and involved story about um, this his grandfather wanting to help someone and praying, Lord, send somebody. And so three different people come. It, it's kind of that version of the, you know, praying for God to do something God says, yeah. okay, and then sends things, and you just totally miss the, miss yeah. the boat yeah. on it. Um, so he told this Larry, this story, and then the two of them went away and then he got to thinking about the story that he had told. And then he got to thinking, Hey, wait a minute. These guys, you don't suppose maybe they were angels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's because they never saw him again. Hmm. So it was interesting. And he's got a couple other stories about uh, strangers and how we treat them in in the sermon. And we've got a link to that. We'll have it over at the show notes. But I thought that was interesting. Um, Continuing on with that for a special effect, uh, entertaining angels or showing hospitality, which is philoxenia, uh, is literally love of strangers, which is the complete polar opposite of xenophobia. Right. Um, so encourage your people at some point this week to think about love of strangers and encourage them to observe strangers as they go about their lives this next week uh, on their commute to work, at work, at school, at the store. Uh, maybe consider the person that you're seeing, that you're observing, as some, someone as dearly loved as your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends. They just give them the same sort of attention and care that you would give to the people that you know and love. So how would you then demonstrate that to them? I mean, you need to be careful. Right, yes. <laughs> you stranger might, danger, stranger right, you danger. You might wind up in prison or something. <laughs> uh, but how would you demonstrate to them? Buy them a cup of coffee, offer them a place in line in front of you, let them in traffic, 
I mean, that goes a huge way. Mm-hmm. Um, or strike up a conversation. Maybe just smile or be pleasant, you know? Yeah. Also, the idea of remembering those who were in prison. I found, a, I did a Google search for prison pen pals. Mm-hmm. And instead of picking any one of them that um, you might want to look at, I just did the Google list. So you could maybe, if your church is not already doing it, you might encourage folks to strike up some kind of a prison pen pal ministry so that you could have some opportunity to practice caring for someone that is a stranger to you. Hmm. Hmm. So um, that sounds people smarty. It's very people smarty, but it there's some self smart in it in the way that you have to examine yourself and what it would take for you to be able to do these things and mm-hmm. what barriers are in the way of you doing these things. Why why would you feel l- less inclined to do something like that? Yeah. yeah. And and what what can you do? What how can you be in conversation with God and reflect on that to get to a point where you can do something um maybe not outwardly so expressive um but something something to change your heart and change your attitude. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's go on. The psalm for year C, Ordinary 22, is Psalm 112. It is a hymn of praise to God for people who are happy, for those who are righteous and who greatly delight in God's commandments. And it goes on to talk about who these people are and what their benefits will be to them. Um, the, uh, verse 6, the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They're not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. And it continues on that way, that it's a really good thing to be one of the righteous people who fears and obeys the Lord. Um, we'll let you find that yourself and you can look the rest of it because it pretty much just goes on in the same vein that way. For self-smart, I was um, particularly taken with the verse, for the righteous shall never be moved, uh, which kind of goes back to the um, uh the work in Hebrews from last week about the foundations being shaken. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, the word not be moved is, is mot or will not be shaken, will not totter, will not fail. Uh, so you might want to do a little bit of word smart and maybe some eye smart with illustrating that, uh, maybe some images of what things could help you not totter or not be shaken. Snow boots, ice picks, sand on the snow, snow tires, low heeled shoes, walking shoes, surfaces that are secure, footwear that is comfortable and comforting, anything that will allow you to stay standing or at least not fall over. So while this is, sort of an eye smart, maybe even a body smart, body smart yeah. type of, uh, of illustration. There's also some self smart in it and that it gives people some time to reflect on uh, what it is that would make you feel secure and confident. There you go. Yeah. And, and um, so if, if things are slick outside or a little stumbly bumbly, what would help you feel um, confident in moving about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm thinking so, of it in terms of of motion and and standing, but it could be anything. I well, mean, yeah, I, so I, that's just the image that came to my mind. It's because you're more body smart than than I am. But if you're uh, to do it self smart, it would be what would keep your your soul that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, but I was still thinking that you know if you even because if you feel 
confident going out with, you know, going out and being about, or if, if things are getting kind of around you and you feel secure that you're, 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 you're steady, then it does affect your soul, that, that your, your soul is anchored as well. Yeah. So it's kind of a body spirit sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, for a self sm- or a special effect for this, bring in some of those items, snow boots, picks, sand on ice, things like that, and talk about how using them gives a person more confidence moving about. It is body smart. Mm-hmm. And in less than great weather conditions, which is nature smart, oh, and when you might feel like you might need a little bit of backup. Now, translate that feeling of greater confidence and security to your faith in God. Right. Does that match up? Does, does that feeling of confidence match your, your sense of, I trust you, God, and why or why not? Mm-hmm. So... There you go. See, I can get around to it eventually. <laughs> of course you do. I trust you implicitly. <laughs> All right. What you got for nature? I was looking at line uh, or verse 4a. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright, which sounds like an eye smart sort of thing. But it got me thinking about what it would be like to be the dawn for someone else. And so being out in nature early in the morning before the sun comes up, what is that like? And so uh, describe that the world at dawn. Um, if you've, if you've ever experienced that, I, it's been a while for me. Uh, but, um, and for a lot of people actually, you know, they don't, they're not up at dawn. So there's generally a stillness and at the same time, an anticipation mm-hmm. just in the air. You know, the world is kind of, just about ready to wake up. Yeah. And um, the birds may be singing, but most of the humans are still. And um, so there's a hopefulness that seems to come with dawn. And I think that's kind of what we're going for is, uh, uh, well, that, that kind of brings self smart in <laughs> nature smart so we're just doing all sorts of cross cross train, cross training today <laughs> um but uh you know how could god's people be like that like the dawn and so i i came across an article it's um, kind of a blog post on the it's a longer similar sort of description of experiencing the dawn and um a uh, bunch of self-smart thrown into it. It's at a website called schooloflife.com. And uh, it's a very nice description. And it talks about the how dawn can change your perception of all the things that you thought were a problem last night. And suddenly it, you're thinking, why was I so upset about that? Hmm. that? That dawn is the world's way of reminding us to let go of yesterday. Hmm. That was one of the lines. Hmm. And uh, so. Reset for the new day? Yeah. Yeah. And so to be that for the world, for the righteous, for God's hmm. people, um, I to think be would the be. Dawn. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I thought that would be neat. Um, so uh, it's, it's not super nature y, but, um, you know, you, you might just have to go out and get up early and go out at dawn at some point this week to 
re-experience that before you can preach on it. I don't know. All right. All right. Let's go on. The Old Testament lesson for year C, Ordinary 22, is Sirach 10, 12 to 18. Well, it's an option. It is an option. The other option is Proverbs 25, 6 to 7. We decided to go with Sirach because when do you ever get to do anything with Sirach? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. Uh, if you're not familiar with Sirach, you're probably a Protestant. And uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, it is one of the uh, – is Books it Apocrypha, Apocrypha or is Pseudepigrapha? Apocrypha. I think it's Apocrypha. It's the Apocrypha of the Old Testament. So semi-canonical. Mm-hmm. Depends on who definitely you talk to. Definitely complimentary. Yes. Yes, definitely. So anyway, um, I am not really familiar with the book of Sirach. But this passage is very interesting. It starts off, The beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its maker. And goes on then to talk about what happens when people uh, turn themselves over to pride. And uh, it doesn't go well. No. No. And the Lord doesn't look favorably upon such things. In fact, the Lord overthrows the thrones of rulers, it says in verse 14, and enthrones the lowly in their place. 15, they, the Lord plucks up the roots of nations and plants the humble in their place. And uh, that's kind of the thing. It ends, pride was not created for human beings or violent anger for those born of women. So I'm going to want to look at Sirach sometime and see what's going on in the rest of that book, I think. Very interesting. Interesting passage. So uh, for Nature Smart, I, you know, this this one actually had Nature Smart right there in the middle of it. <laughs> By golly, so let's do something with it. So in verse 15, that part about plucking up the roots of nations and planting the humble in their place. So bring in some potted plants and some starter plants and have them. But could be that it coming on toward fall here in our part of the world, you've got plants that are finishing up. Oh, right, so right. bring them in. Bring them in. If they're and, in and if you can find some uh, fresh clippings of, of, you know, new starter plants, um, it, or or some small flowers or pansies or something. I don't know. You know, I don't know what's <laughs> growing these days. I'm not that nature smart, I guess. But um, anyway, the idea would be to ruthlessly pull out those potted plants by their roots and just yank them right out, dump out the dirt, get some more fresh potting soil, put that in, and then take the starters and plant them in their place. And so just do the visualization of what it's talking about here, except with plants instead of nations, but then point out that, you know, this is what the Lord does to a proud nation. Hmm. And uh, whew, mm -hmm. and good luck. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, <laughs> uh, as far as Nature Smart, if you have any master gardeners in right. your congregation, yeah. talk to them. Talk, uh, talk about when, when would you... When would you pull up a plant that's actually doing well and why? Mm, yeah, why would yeah. you do that? And so that might be a good way of uh, illustrating that. Yeah. But then uh, the question would come up, are the plants that God's pulling up doing well? Well, so. okay, let me, let me rephrase that. Well-rooted. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 That that actually have have good roots, and they're 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 not. Um, yeah. Yeah. You need to just see that visually. Yeah. Anyway, you can work out the details, um, and, and if you talk with a master gardener, they'll help you, I'm sure. Yep. For self-smart, uh, it's kind of the whole thing is self-smart in some ways, but it starts out with the beginning of human pride is to forsake the Lord. The heart has withdrawn from its maker. So I went looking for commentary on this particular book because sometimes that sparks something for me. And I found commentary at Catholic Culture that says the beginning of pride is sin. Really, there are two kinds of pride, brand name and generic, we might call them. (laughs) Generic pride is implied in every sin. The sinner, in effect, says, God may know what is good for some things, but in this thing, I know better. Mm. Mm-hmm. God says it is bad. I know it is good. And brand name pride, that which is explicit, is what Sirach is talking about in different parts here. So haul that out and let people think about times when, when they have known better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even give them time to contemplate it as a special effect. Think of a time when you knew best and then it turned out you didn't. Maybe it was doing a task or how to bake something or how to get from one place to the next. What did it feel like when you discovered that you, in fact, did not know what to do? And what happened next? How did you respond to this new information that you were, in fact, wrong? Hmm. So, Sirach suggests that this happens when we forsake the Lord. So, um, maybe there might be some self-reflecting and some time for considering how we might turn it around. The other three passages, the Luke passage, the Psalm, the Hebrews passage, are all full of examples of how not to forsake the Lord. Uh, Hebrews and Psalms have some pretty explicit things. And how to remain faithful. Jesus talks about it in, in Luke. So I went and I found a couple of websites. One is Soul Shepherding. And the other is church leaders, each of them that have lists of ways of getting a spiritual discipline um, uh, into your life and back into touch with God and, and who you are. Um, I didn't know we weren't doing Proverbs. And so oh. the only thing that I had in illust- as an illustration is, see Jesus' parable. For, because for the proverb, pro- yeah, because yeah. the proverb yeah. is, "Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told come up here than to be put lower in the presence of a noble." Which makes me think, um, ages ago, my sister gave me a one-year Bible as a mm-hmm. as an ordination gift, and in about two thousand six, I finally decided I would I would go through it. So you know, sixteen years after, in fact, sure. you know, why rush? And so when I would, the time is right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I started going through it one year and I would read it right before bed, which was okay. Uh, the Old Testament passage I was awake and alert for, the New Testament passage, mostly. The psalm repeated halfway through the year. So after a certain point in the year, I just skipped it. And then the last thing was Proverbs. And poor Proverbs, I read them in my sleep. <laughs> So a couple of years after I went through this whole thing, I went and I got a commentary, which is behind you there on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, specific to Proverbs. And as I went through Are it, you asking me to reach for it and I pull it out? I think it's Cliff, somebody, Clifford, Cliff, it, it might not actually be there anymore. I might have moved it. 
Um, anyway, what amazed me about reading through the Proverbs was how so much of the material in Proverbs showed up in Jesus' teachings, in his parables, in his in his uh, instruction to the disciples. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. So I don't know why I was surprised. I suppose if I you know knew my Bible the way people are supposed to know their Bibles, <laughs> I would I would know that Jesus had used so much from Proverbs. And this, th- these these verses here, Proverbs 25, 67, that's the basis for what he tells people in the gospel passage. So it's the Old Testament library, a uh, commentary by Richard J. Clifford. Richard Clifford, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. It's from I recommend uh, Westminster it. John Knox. Yep, I recommend it. Good resource, good resource. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or at facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can always share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Needs an editor. Yep.